While you turn there, let me just remind you, uh, two weeks ago when I was preaching, we, we talked about the end of Galatians chapter 4, which is probably the most difficult part of Galatians. And uh, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul uses a story that's familiar to the people that he's writing to. It's a story from the Old Testament of Abraham's children. And he writes this story because the Jews that were in Galatia, the religious leaders, were boasting that they were the true sons of Abraham. And so that they would receive the inheritance that God had promised to Abraham. Promises of being a people, um, of the promised land, a property, and the presence of God. And so they boast, hey, you know, we are true children of Abraham. And, and Paul responds, you may be children of Abraham, but which child are you? Because Abraham had two children. One was Ishmael, who was a slave that had no inheritance and was kicked out of the land. And then there was Isaac, who was free, who received the full inheritance. And then Paul ends Galatians 4 by saying, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are free children of God. And then he picks up in today's message. And so if you would, let's read together Galatians 5, verse 1 through 12 on page 974 of the Red Bible. Galatians 5, 1 through 12. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... Whoops, sorry, wrong book of the Bible. That's what happens when you go on vacation for a week. You come back and... All right, this sounds right. Galatians 5, 1 through 12. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come here this morning and we think about how you have set us free, Lord. Um, You also say that there is the tendency for Christians to slip back into slavery. And while it might be hard to articulate, uh, I think we all have felt that, Lord, of feeling enslaved uh, to your laws, enslaved to our guilt, enslaved to our sin. But you have come to set us free, God so that we no longer would be slaves, but that we would be free. And it is for freedom that you have set us free, God. Pray that you would further free our hearts, free our minds in Christ Jesus today. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Um, this time of the year, around 4th of July, we talk a lot about freedom, right? And rightfully so. Uh, we have a wonderful privilege here in America of being free, something that ma- the majority of the world does not get to enjoy. And when we look at the 4th of July, what it actually points to is July 4th, 1776, with the Continental Congress declaring that the 13 American colonies were free and independent from Great Britain. And as we shoot off fireworks and we celebrate and we eat hot dogs, one thing that we often forget is the cost of that freedom, of how expensive it was with the blood of Americans to get that freedom. Felix Frankfurter puts it this way. He says, we have enjoyed so much freedom for so long that we are perhaps in danger of forgetting how much blood it costs. Uh, In that Revolutionary War, the Americans lost about 25,000 men. Almost three times as many men as the British lost. And so the cost was very great. John F. Kennedy puts it this way. He says, the cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. And one path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender or Submission, And so John F. Kennedy talks about this initial act of freedom, that there was the initial shedding of blood, the high price paid for freedom. But there's a continued obligation to keep that freedom, to celebrate that freedom, to enjoy that freedom. And so we continue to defend that freedom by men and women going and serving in the military. We, We support that freedom by paying taxes to a government that does that. We support freedom by voting. And so we're called to delightfully fulfill these obligations of freedom. What Paul is saying here today to the Galatians is that you have been set free, but you have neglected the wonderful and joyful obligations of freedom that God has called you to. In verse 1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke, um, I'm not a farmer, so maybe you can help me, but basically it's like a noose or a rope tied up to a farm animal, like an oxen. And the oxen will drag around this heavy weight behind him, usually to plow the field or whatever it might be. And what is said here is that the law is like a yoke. In Acts 15, Peter talks about this. He says that you put us under this, this unbearable yoke of the law, that you expected us to be perfect. You expected us to fulfill all the law of God, but it's a yoke of slavery. It's like a chain on a dog pulling his master along. And Paul says, God has set you free from that yoke of slavery. So all who trust in Christ You have been set free. If you trust in Christ for your salvation, you are free today. You're free from the guilt of sin. You're free from the power of sin. You're you're free from the tyranny of Satan. You're free from the judgment of God. You're free. It doesn't matter where you feel it or not. You are free. What Paul is particularly 
addressing in terms of freedom in this passage is freedom from the curse of the law. Freedom from the curse of the law. See, the law in the Old Testament, there's a bunch of rules, okay? And they're given by God's grace and love. They're not bad in and of themselves. But how they use them is extremely bad. And so if they say, God, I will attain your love, I will attain your favor by living up to all these expectations, by fulfilling the law perfectly, then Paul says you have that yoke on your neck and you are pulling your own salvation. You have taken the yoke off of Christ and putting it on yourself. And so here's what happens. The, the Galatians wore this yoke of pagan religions with all their rules and all their rituals. And they took it off and they placed it on Christ and said, I trust Christ alone for my salvation. They believed that. The doctrines of grace, they believed it. But then they, they took the yoke off and they put it back on themselves. Not the pagan religions, but the Jewish religions with all its laws and all its regulations. And so Paul writes to tell them that Christ has set you free from this yoke of slavery. So don't return to it. Don't put on that yoke. And then he tells us how to do that. And so for us today, here's the big idea is that because Christ has set you free, we must live free, fulfill the obligations to live and freedom. Okay. And here is how we do that. He puts it in verse two and then expands on it. The rest of the chap, the, the, the passage in verse two, he gives two commands for them to stay free. Okay. One is stand firm, therefore in your freedom. And the second is do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in your freedom. Don't submit to a yoke of slavery. We're going to break this up and cover this in two weeks. And we're going to look at the first, the the second question first. So today we're going to look at how do we not submit again to a yoke of slavery? It's kind of a confusing statement. How do we not submit again to a yoke of slavery so that we can live in the freedom that God has given to us? And so let's look at that. How do we not submit again to a yoke of slavery? That's what we're going to look at today. The, (coughs) excuse me, the, the, the primary way that we don't submit to a yoke of slavery is by rejecting the message of slavery. Okay? Pretty simple. Reject the message of slavery from your heart, from your life. And this is is how we do it. This is what the the message of slavery is. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, which means if you receive it, if you get circumcised, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You who would be justified by the law. And so the religious leaders came in to Galatia and they said, you need to be circumcised to be saved by God. And so some of the Galatians started getting circumcised and they thought, you know, this makes me okay with God. This makes God love me more. And when you think about it, just intellectually, it's really funny. Because what this is saying is that if you get circumcised, when you die and you go and you stand before God, he's not going to look at your heart. He's going to look below your waistline and say, all right, you got it done. You're in, right? Silly. It's ridiculous. But this is what they were claiming. 
that circumcision would save them. And so what they were doing is they were adding these rules to make a new religion that was clothed in the words of Christianity. This happens all the time today. Uh, Turn on the TV, you'll probably find it. There are many churches that will tell you if you do, and, and they'll call themselves Christian churches, they'll say if you do A, B, and C, if you do these things, God will do D, E, and F. And so we obligate God to bless us. We obligate God to love us. And we turn God into a formula. Do these things and God will love you and God will bless you. You will have money. You will have health. You will have power. Name it and claim it if you do these things. And Paul says, that's the furthest thing from the truth. These people promote a sticker book God. Do you remember uh, in elementary school how you would get those sticker books, right, to fill in, and they have like eight or 16 slots or something like that? And every time you showed up for class and didn't do anything bad, you would get a sticker for the day. Or if you did something really nice, you would get another sticker from the day. Murray, does that happen in your class? No? No stickers? Trish does it with our kids. But they create a sticker book God. You have to get these stickers of circumcision, of baptism. You have to take of the Lord's Supper. You have to speak in tongues. You have to do all these things, earn all these stickers, and then God will love you. And while all those things are very good and they accompany salvation, none of them contribute to salvation. They accompany salvation in a wonderful way glorious gift of God's grace, but they don't contribute to your salvation. That's what Paul is talking about here today. And so we have to reject the message of slavery that we need all these stickers. We need to do all these right things for God to love us, to accept us. And so what are the stickers in your life? What are the things that you either place on yourself, the burden that you have that say, I really have to get this part of my life in order, or I have to do this one thing and then God will love me. It's not true. God is not in love with a future version of you. He loves you just as you are today. Maybe there are stickers that you put on other people like, oh, they can't, they they could never know God because they have this lifestyle or that lifestyle or because they're just so rebellious, so angry, so mean, they could never know God. Those are all stickers. And we reduce God to a formula and we limit his power. And so people create a sticker book, God. In verse 3, Paul goes on to say, if you obey circumcision for salvation, then you have to obey the whole law. You have to obey everything in the Old Testament. He says you can't just pick and choose and say, okay, this is important, that isn't important. He says you have to obey the whole law. And so the irony with this is they say, I entirely trust in Christ but I also have to be circumcised. Now, that's contradictory because you can't entirely trust in Christ if you also have to do something. Because you don't entirely trust in Christ. You trust in Christ plus circumcision. And so the, the, the calling for us today is, where do you put your trust? Is it entirely in Jesus Christ, in Him alone for your salvation? Because if it isn't, if it's, if it's in Christ plus doing some good things, plus 
being circumcised plus being baptized, whatever it might be, if it's Christ plus something, then you are obligated to obey the entire law. If you don't entirely trust in Christ, you have to entirely obey the law. Or else you will inherit the curse of the law. And you will be judged, which is death and slavery. And so we have to reject the message of slavery in our lives. There are some ramifications to not rejecting the message of slavery. And they're absolutely devastating. Okay, And so if you accept this message of slavery in your life, in your heart, there will be some devastating effects. And Paul puts some of those out here. And so I'm going to walk through four of them that he lists here. <coughs> Excuse me. First is isolation in verse 4. He says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. We believe here at Jacob's Well in a doctrine that's called perseverance of the saints. Uh, basically, what it means is that once you are saved, once God reaches down and saves you, you can never lose your salvation. And this is found throughout Scripture uh, time and time again. You can look at, if you're interested, you can look at John 10. Uh, Romans 8 talks a lot about this. Uh, Philippians 1 6 says, you know, God who began a good work in you will finish it to completion. Uh, in John 10, he's talking about you will never be taken from the shepherd's hands. And so we believe that once God saves you, you will never be lost from him. But don't let that, if, that, if that's your understanding, don't let that weaken Paul's statement here. He's saying that if you try to be justified by the law, if that is your outlook, if that is your belief that, that goodness will make you acceptable to God, then you have been severed from Christ. Christ is not with you, and you have left behind the doctrine of grace. And so by obeying the law, what you earn is isolation from God, isolation from Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. When uh, my... my Middle child, Caleb, uh, he is such a cute, stubborn little kid. And uh, I actually, maybe I shouldn't do this, but sometimes I just go, hey, stubborn, come over here, all right? He never wants help with anything until he tries it himself. And so the, the latest thing was, uh, let's see, I think this past week he wanted to get on this big bike. And I knew he wouldn't be able to get on it without tipping over. So I go over to help him and he says, no, get away, get away, get away. And so I'm like, all right, I'll get away. So he starts to climb up on it, and uh, what bike flips over, and he lands. And you want help? Okay, I'll take help now, right? But he wants to isolate himself. He wants to separate himself from me by doing it himself. And this is a picture of what happens when you believe this message of slavery. You say, I don't need Christ. I can do it myself. And we fall over, and we tumble, and we never live up to God's standards. And so isolation is one of the ramifications of accepting that message of slavery. The second ramification is disobedience. Now, this is kind of ironic. <coughs> and I've seen it a lot in my life. Is <coughs> Excuse me. Um, there is a lot of people, especially in Green Bay, but there's a lot of people who think, 
yeah, I know Jesus came. I know he died on the cross for my sin, but I still got to be a good person, okay? And one of the ironies with that is that most often they're not one of the better people. Uh, They have all these sins which they say, ah, it's okay, God will forgive because, you know, I, uh, I go to church. I give money to charities and things like that. But they believe that obedience will save them. And the irony is that they're usually the more disobedient people. And Paul says to them in verse 7, he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And it's a really interesting statement because their goal was to obey the Old Testament law. And Paul said, You may be trying to do that, but you are disobeying the truth of the gospel that I have told to you. The truth of the gospel that Christ came to serve them and love them and care for them. Now they were trying to just obey a checklist, a formula to earn God's love. God had freely sent his son. Christ had taken on that yoke of slavery, the yoke of the law, and he fulfilled it perfectly. And then... He bore the curse of the law for us who have broken it so that we could be free and so that we could love others. And this creates obedience because, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But that creates obedience when he does that. What Paul says is that the message of the gospel not only reveals the way of salvation, the message of the gospel reveals the way to live life. It's obedience to the truth of the gospel. And so the the gospel, the good news of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, isn't just for people to become Christians. It's for people who have been Christians 80 years, that they might obey the truth of the gospel. The Galatians experienced this initially. Paul came to them, and they were were involved in some some pagan religions that were kind of ruthless, very uh, legalistic. And Paul comes and he proclaims to them the gospel. And they, they, they get this freedom from believing the gospel. And they're so free that they're able to take care of Paul in all his sickness and disease. And earlier in this, in, in this book, Paul actually says, if you would have, you would have plucked your eyes out and given them to me. Because they had been so transformed by the gospel, by the good news of Christ, that they wanted to serve freely that they wanted to love because they have been loved. But now the Galatians stopped obeying the truth. They have worked into legalism, and they have worked into slavery again. You know, when, um, when, when, we, when we look at God as a rule maker or a task master, what we try to do is change our actions, change our performance, But when we see God as a loving father, it transforms our hearts. And when our hearts are transformed, that has the greatest impact for obedience. You know, as a parent, you may have realized that the way that your parents loved you growing up not only transformed your heart and made you love them, it actually changes how you act towards your own kids. The strongest motivation for transformation, for change, is not fear, it's love. And Paul says, God has loved you. And that creates obedience 
that's in line with the truth of the gospel. And so one of the consequences of falling into or believing this, this message of slavery or works righteousness is that you're disobedient. It breeds disobedience. The third is destruction. Verse 8 puts it this way. This persuasion, meaning the, the, the communication of you have to be good enough for God, is not from him who calls you, which is God. And then he goes on to say, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so leaven, I'm not a baker, and I didn't research this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but leaven you put into bread so it will rise, correct? All right, so you put it in there, you mix it up, and it rises, okay? I eat it, I just don't know how to make it. So, <coughs> And he says, when you put leaven in there, it works all the way through the dough, and it rises up. And what he's communicating is when false teaching comes into a church, when it comes to the people of God, it works its way around. Because it's not foolish sounding, it's actually very good sounding and people start believing it and receiving it and it works its way throughout a church and it destroys a church it works through the whole church and what i've heard people say at different times is you know what it's really not doctrine is really not that important it doesn't really matter what we believe as long as we just love jesus right But doctrine tells us how to love Jesus. It keeps us from slipping into slavery. It's a a slow fade into slavery. And so our doctrine helps us protect the gospel of Christ, protect the cross of Christ. Those who trust in Christ, he's of great advantage to you. Let's look at number four. Actually, yeah, let's look at number four. Uh, The final ramification that Paul covers here is judgment. And he covers this in verse 2 and also in verse 10. He says in verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And so if this whole life you are trying to earn God's love, and on the day of judgment you stand before God and you pull out your sticker book and say, Look at all the stickers I have. God will pull out your sticker book and he'll say, That's a nice page. You missed the last hundred pages. (laughs) You don't have enough stickers to get into heaven. And then you'll stand there and you'll be looking around for someone to help you. And Christ won't be there. He won't be there for your advantage. But if you trust in Christ, he will be there for you. You will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He will be of great advantage to you goes on in verse 10. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And so to them, Christ will be no advantage. And they will bear the full curse of the law for all eternity. And he says, this is their fate. This is their future. This is what will happen to them. When... Um, there was there was a father. I'll end with this illustration. There's a father who was <coughs> he's trying to teach his kids discernment. All right, trying to teach his kids what to accept, what to reject, and so he gave his three kids three apples. All right, and each of the apples had part of the apple was good, part of the apple was rotten. All right, one of the kids took the apple and threw the whole thing away which is probably what my kids would do. Just threw it away. 
Good part, bad part, threw it all away. The other kid ate the whole apple. (laughs) The rotten part, the good part, the core, everything. But the third kid, like adults would do, ate the good part and threw away the bad part. There are, there, there are people who are not Christians that just throw away all of Christianity because they see the bad. They see the, the negative things that happen. They see, they see how Christians are often hypocritical, especially those who would claim to be Christians but preach this false gospel. And so they throw away the whole thing. There's others who just say, man, if it has the label Christian on it, then it's good for consumption, and I'm going to eat it. It's all got to be good, but it's not true. You have to be discerning. You have to reject the messages of slavery. You have to be like that third kid who can discern the good from the bad. Eat the good, reject the bad. And so God calls us to live free. And one way of doing that is by not submitting again to a yoke of slavery. And how we do that is by rejecting the message of slavery. The ramifications of not rejecting that are tragic. Their isolation from God, their disobedience against God, destruction of the body of Christ, and judgment of God upon you for the curse of the law. It's no wonder here, at the end of this verse, at the end of this passage, Paul writes, I wish those who unsettle you would, the word is amputate themselves. And so he doesn't just want them to circumcise, he wants them to amputate if you know what that means. Because what they are preaching, what they are talking about, what they are sharing is a gospel of slavery and it is destructive to the body of Christ. Christ has set you free. Be free. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. And part of our duty with that freedom is to nourish that freedom, to guard that freedom, to defend that freedom. And we saw today that one way we doing that, we do that is by not submitting again to a yoke of slavery, Lord. God, pray that we would be discerning people, Lord, that we would indeed grow in grace, God, that we would indeed avail ourselves to things that would help us know the truth, Lord, that we would get into your word, that we would be in prayer, that we would be around churches and people that love the word of God, Lord, so that we might discern the rotten parts of the apple from the good parts, and we might reject what is rotten, accept what is good. We're so thankful that you don't accept us based on our stickers, based on our merit, but that you accept us based on the goodness of Jesus Christ. And it it is in his beautiful and glorious and wonderful name that we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. We come to the Lord's table again this week, and there's always the temptation of this becoming routine. But it's a gift of grace to you. This table is only for sinners. But it's also only for those who trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you trust in Jesus Christ, we'd encourage you to come and be nourished. But if you're here and you're just trying to figure out who Jesus is, figure out what you do trust in, we'd encourage you just to wait and to think about what it would mean to trust in Christ and then come talk to me or to someone else here after the service and see what it would be like to trust in Jesus Christ, to know the freedom for which God has set you free.